Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by social impact pioneer Hamza Sowa. Hamza currently leads Reckitt's global social impact and partnerships team. Reckitt, if you're not aware of the brand, is a producer of health, hygiene, and nutrition products. They're headquartered in the UK, employing around 40,000 people and operating in more than 45 countries. They own cleaning products and brands that you might be aware of, such as Dettol and Harpic, health products such as Strepsils, Nurofen, Lemsip, and they're the owner of the condom brand, Durex. So you get a sense of how the business helps people. But as Hamza is going to explain to us shortly, having a purpose knowing why a business exists and the problem it's really trying to solve for can galvanise action and impact. Today, we're going to talk about corporate purpose, but we're also going to talk about personal purpose and how to make these work for you. Hamza is an award-winning social impact practitioner. He's recognised by the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship and the World Economic Forum as one of the 25 leading social innovators globally building a better future for all. He's a finalist under the Corporate Social Entrepreneur Award category in 2004 and has been awarded a global fellowship at the League of Entrepreneurs for Driving Systems Change. He was once selected as a One Young World Ambassador and is part of the BMW Foundation Responsible Leaders Network. But his journey isn't one of people ushering him through the doors. Hamza is a person who makes things happen. Hamza, I'm delighted to welcome you. This conversation has been coming some time, so I'm massively grateful to you for joining us today and uh, hopefully looking forward to you sharing your journey with us. Hamza, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Oh, complete pleasure. And I wanted to open our conversation today. So you're currently Reckitt's Global Impact and Partnership Director, and you're managing their Fight for Access, which is a social impact investment fund. Can you paint us a bit of a picture? What do those roles mean in practice? Sure. Thanks, Katie. So I, I think with a role like like mine, and I'll I'll get into some detail around it, I think it starts with a with a corporate purpose. Now a lot of talk has been around corporate purpose and the the role of the corporate in tackling some of these societal environmental challenges, but it starts with a purpose, and I think that's the North Star for people within the organization. And I think luckily at Reckitt, I think it's quite clear. It's why I've been in the business for quite some time. I think that the purpose is to create cleaner and healthier world with a very clear mission to ensure that um, hygiene, health and nutrition are seen to be a human right and not a privilege. Um, so, of course, you can't have a cleaner and healthier world if we have such stark inequities across key areas of, of which we're very much part and parcel of, of moving the needle on, such as water, availability of sanitation, sexual health. So the, the core business and brand portfolio are inher- inherently solving problems. Um, so if you think about the likes of the three business units that Reckitt has for people who aren't aware of Reckitt, Reckitt is a global 
global multinational and we're in more than more than 100 countries and we have kind of household brands such as Dettol, Dettol soap which of course breaks the chain of infection, Durex condoms which help prevent STIs and we have brands that continue to help create that clean and healthy world. So very much the what's been really important as a, in a role like mine is to to look at the core the core business and the brand portfolio and really try and think about how do we really leverage the entire capabilities and the full gambit of the private sector to create an impact? How do we channel our resources, our abilities, our capabilities, our huge communication avenues and channels to really make meaningful strides against some of the categories and challenges in which we're, we're privy to? So we know business as usual is not enough. So the question is, how do we as a business become more regenerative? And how do we think about our, our impacts across our end-to-end value chain, right? Starting from how we think about our raw materials all the way through to when the manufacturing of our products, the use of our products, and ultimately, how do they get disposed of, right? So we've got the end-to-end value chain. And my role within that is really thinking about the S within that, so the social, the social components going across that continuum. Um, so I lead our efforts on our global impact work. So as you mentioned, I lead on our social impact investment fund which is deemed the, the FIFA Access Fund, which essentially is, to give some context, it's around 121 million over the last three years that was deployed via Reckit, that was invested. And it seeks to invest to tackle core problems directly linked to the core business. So we think of, a, of key problem areas, such as hygiene as a foundation of health, where our hygiene and health brands play, such as Dettol, Harpic, Lysol, all looking to ensure that these brands either are improving health through hand washing by improving access to sanitation and hygiene and sanitation and continue to make an impact against those. So we, we, the secondary, we look at sexual reproductive health rights and equity. How does the likes of our Durex brand show up in society? How do we move the needle, strive for ensuring that every adolescent, uh, particularly w- women and girls, know their sexual rights, know they have the freedom to choose, ensure that we drive healthy behavior change and practices to ultimately improve sexual health? which is also beneficial for the business, but of course is beneficial for, for society. And then, and then we have, on the third pillar, we have self-care, where we look at how do we really begin to close, close the gaps and support health systems which are under major pressure and continue to be under pressure following COVID. Right? So this is where we, how do we continue to provide access to fundamental universal health coverage and then also help to educate around health literacy to ensure that people understand how to look after their own health, take health into their own hands. Um, so we do a lot of work continuing to drive that. So with the brands such as Neurofen, you may have seen the Neurofen See My Pain program, which is in the UK at the moment, looking to educate around pain biases within women. And then finally, we have maternal and child health, which is core to a lot of the work that we do, particularly the nutrition portfolio, where we look to ensure that every child has the best start in life. And we continue to advocate for maternal child health, neonatal health. So my role is very much, I'm at the coalface between really thinking about those four blocks and our, and our core business, looking at the key societal needs that we're seeing emerging and continue to be unaddressed and unmet uh, across the SDGs, and looking at how do we link the challenges that we see in society with the core business operations and the core business opportunities? How do we link the SDGs together with the core business? How do we drive value creation for all stakeholders and essentially think about how we fuse profit with purpose, right? So I think part of the work that my role requires me to kind of partner deeply within internal ecosystems. So looking across our entire end-to-end teams from marketing, finance, legal, supply chain, 
and then looking at how how do I then partner with external players who are tackling some of the challenges that are inherent to the brand, such as such as lasting access to water and sanitation or sexual health, as I mentioned. So my role is to bring the worlds together, think about our role differently, think about our role as a catalyst, as a center for social innovation to continue to drive progress against these challenges. So it's very much about deploying the funding and really unleashing the full capital spectrum that we have available to us, whether it be philanthropy, whether it be impact investing via balance sheet, whether it be working through the brands and the behavior change and driving out through our comms channels. I'm there to really kind of harness the best of, of, of the private sector and, and wreck it to make material impacts against, against these issues. And of course, to galvanize stakeholders against these, frame the business case of investment, frame how we communicate, how we advocate for change, and then satisfies not only that reporting criteria, but also continues to drive, you know, engagement with governments around the world. We continue to kind of be best placed to kind of make a material impact as the private sector should do. So that's a very quick whistle stop, but it gives a, gives a flavor for the kind of work that I'm, I've been leading on. Oh, and also provides presumably the business with that on the pulse like reason for being, that understanding of what those big societal challenges are and, and how you guys are best placed and can deploy your expertise and your 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 power to be able to kind of do good and and it's interesting because there's so and hopefully we can come back to this perhaps in some later in the conversation but the there's a a bit of a trend or a pushback at the moment around the skepticism about business being able to be do good at all or indeed sort of tackling some big social challenges and and you you've just articulated beautifully why actually done really thoughtfully and well business can help and should be and is in a position to make a difference so Thank you, Hamza. But I wanted to delve into your personal journey. So Hamza and I have known each other one way or another for a bit. And your personal journey is really interesting. So you've gone from, I'm going to start at the marketing graduate, but I have a bit of backstory there as well. You know, from this kind of graduate through One Young World to being the winner of Purpose Award for Community Engagement and the finalist for the Schwab um, WEF Award last year. And, you know, you've been really kind of heralded on this kind of skyrocketing journey around social innovation. But equally, I mean, that's not easy. That's really tough. There's one thing to be, you know, go and set up your own business externally. There's another thing to do that internally within a massive business, all within a matter of a very short time, really, Hamza. Tell us a bit, like, what is your journey and, and how can perhaps the, some of the learnings that you've had on that journey how would you explain it to others that might want to sort of equally kind of go on a bit of a impact, let's make a difference journey? Well, first of all, thanks, Katie. I'm very humbled by that. And thank you for the kind words. It's, um, yeah, it's been great, obviously, over the years, get to know you. And I think you've been close and seeing the journey kind of unfold firsthand. And you've been a big part of that. So thank you. So I, I think I, I think about it in, I'd say, five key phases, really. And I've done a lot of reflection on this over the years, and obviously preparing for this. And I think it all started and I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I think childhood is so important as my first phase and setting, that's where my fire comes from. And that's where a lot of my drive to create a better world comes from, right? So I was raised by a single parent. My mom was hugely inspirational for me um, growing up, being a single parent from Pakistan, living in UK and raising three kids on her own was, was a huge challenge. So I saw her role. She's a teacher. She's huge advocate for community engagement and making lives better 
for the Pakistani women in the community. And that really rubbed off on me. And I, I could see, you know, she was tackling injustices in her community, providing support. And I think it really laid laid a marker for for my future. And I think it, it was bedded very deeply in me there that I, you know, I really wanted to forge my own path in the space. And in some way, of course, try and kind of give back. It drives me every day. I do a lot for, for my mother and, and, and my family. Uh, and of course, that now kind of kind of follows through to my own family, which is my, my two children, uh, Sophia and Harris, seven and five. And I'm very much driven to create a better world for them. And of course, my wife, who's the, the anchor for a lot of this work. So I was driven by this. Honestly, I didn't really find a pathway. I did a lot of work in, in charities outside of work, whether it be teaching and, and other pursuits. But I kind of lent into what I was kind of good at at school um, and in, in university, as you mentioned, marketing. So I got into a marketing degree. I, I was able to, I was on a placement year and I started off my career on the research and insights side. So very much driven by an understanding of, <laughs> of how do you leverage big data? How do you think about information? I was driven by understanding human behavior and psychology. And you know, that kind of led me to a marketing kind of discipline, an international marketing overview. So I came out of uni. I mean, I got my first at marketing and I was like, right, okay, I want to be a marketeer. <laughs> like I'm going to go and do like brand building and I'm going to think about how we're going to kind of continue to leverage my skill set. And I got out of university and this is really where I enter phase two, which is which I kind of define as an anticlimax because I got out, I was just in shock really for the first, probably the first two, three years. I was working for big corporates on the research side initially and then I moved it across into another multinational organization. And I just, I couldn't kind of put worlds together. I could see the major challenges in society you know, I could see those and I was privy to many of those, you know, think about racial injustice, health inequities, challenges when it comes to unpaid care, like so many challenges I was brought up with. And I was fortunate enough to go to a very good school, got scholarship to a good school. And I could see that, you know, there are huge inequities that existed and the role of the business that these two things did not, did not tally up in my mind. And I just felt completely, I felt as if I was as part of a cog in the wheel driving profit and the conversations I felt were hollow. I didn't understand the meaning as to why I was having the conversations. I and mean, a lot of the time it was just about growth and growing categories and growing business. And and it was great because I understood it and I was good at it and I thrived in it. But I always felt completely and I honestly, Katie, to be honest, to be fair, I didn't really know what was going on. I just felt demotivated every day. I couldn't put a pulse on that. And I knew early, early doors that I tried to kind of rectify this by doing volunteering outside of work. I tried to figure things out in, in different guises in my life. And, and I think I realized when my, my daughter was born, Sophia, uh, about seven years back, that actually I need to re-pivot my entire way of, way of living. How do I bring my innate purpose to tackle injustice, to solve problems, to address these inequities? How do I bring and use my abilities and intellects entirely to solve these problems versus trying to do it on, on the side. So the next phase is what I'd call refine and retune. Identify there was a problem and I thought, how do I begin to maneuver my way towards purpose-driven paths? So when I was I joined Reckit now, it's been nine years and it's been very I've lived many lives within Reckit. I, I I was moving toward I started on the insights and strategy side, working on Vanish. And I think early doors when I was in my I realized I I tried to I implement social purpose initiatives. They were rejected at the time, and I was, I was working on Vanish, for example, and I was talking about disposability of clothing. 
and the role that the brand might play. And at the time, it was before purpose was, was sexy. It was it wasn't really talked about. And they were like, oh, hang on, we're a brand. Like, what's our role in tackling a social problem? Like, stay in your lane, stay in your box, and actually just continue. And I think it was trying to put myself in a square box in a traditional role didn't wasn't really going to work for me. And I then they realized, I think the company realized and really kind of gave me a pathway to say, right, okay, let's get into a, a traditional marketing role. Let's get into brand marketing. Again, it didn't work. I didn't find the balance. I couldn't find an avenue where I could really express myself. And I think things really changed in this retune period where I was placed on a role within the company where I was focused on building a new category around uh, air pollution with the team. And air pollution obviously being a huge emerging health threat and continues to be, it takes more than 7 million lives prematurely every year. The company being a leader in health and hygiene said, what's our role within this? How do we tackle this? And I saw firsthand during this moment, like how business could be a force for good. How can we take the best of a company like Reckitt, its capabilities, its medical knowledge, its you know marketing expertise, legal know-how, regulatory understanding? How do we take the best of this and tackle a problem like pollution? So we saw we launched a portfolio of products. We launched a range that went into India and China. And I was like, okay, there's a there's a there's a opportunity here for me to repivot my and and repush and recenter to bring purpose into my core role. So during this experience, I was I went across into One Young World, and I was kind of selected by the company to go to the Youth Leadership Summit. So the One Young World is a Youth Leadership Summit that focuses on leaders under thirty, young leaders under thirty, really trying to champion social social causes and environmental challenges linked to the SDGs. So an opportunity to hear from world-recognized speakers, to hear from incredible Nobel laureates such as Professor Mohammed Yunus on tackling some of the some of these challenges. And I got back and I was pretty much on fire, right? Like I was, I was like, right, this is this is it. This is the moment for me to transition. This is a moment for me to really kind of think about living my purpose in the center and not as a as a, as a side as a side hustle in a way. And the side hustle continued, right, which I entered my fourth phase, which is what I'd call transition. So the transition period for me was was really interesting where I and very all-consuming in many ways. It really took a lot out of me, and I'll come to that. It was where I was trying to pivot to say, okay, I'm doing my core roles, insights, et cetera, but how do I actually think about a role, a purpose role in itself? So I launched a couple of initiatives coming out of One Young World. One was internal systems change called, it was a purpose council, where it's like, how do you begin to bring other like-minded young people to affect change within the company? So we other One Young World ambassadors and other people from around the company started reverse mentoring the C-suite. We started thinking about innovation structures. We started thinking about how we think about decision-making processes. How do we really think about an entrepreneurial ecosystem to allow others to thrive and drive purpose-led business? And then I also launched an external initiative um, to tackle premature births in uh, Indonesia, which has the fifth highest rate in the world, which is shocking to me. And at this moment, I was running these two initiatives I went out to Jakarta. I, I worked with it very closely with the team, and I saw firsthand how I could have an impact. I was leveraging my skills from the business world to tackle societal challenges, and I think by my nature, being in insights and strategy, I was able to kind of piece together large volumes of information, come up with solutions, partner with the various ecosystem players, and I thought, okay, hang on, I can see where this might go, and it gave me a window into the world. And I think I always think that when once you've got a window into some of the challenges that are in the world, and your eyes are wide open, um, whether it be I see in Pakistan in my, in my in my home country, or whether I see in uh, places like Indonesia, once you see these challenges, I think it's very difficult to close that window and go back to go back to normal. I was driven by the need for my for my children to create a better future. I was scared by what was to come, 
from the climate crisis and other challenges. So I went on a journey with them and the League of Entrepreneurs were very important during this period to really help. And of course, Zahir, the Business Vice Poverty team, like we're all part of this. It's like, how do I repivot? How do I redesign? And I was very fortunate to have an incredible mentor within Reket, Patti, who's been guiding my, my journey, mentors from externally to help guide, to say, how do we actually kind of build a core role within the company, right? So, and I was able to create a role and do some job crafting on really thinking about purpose for Dettol, which is our global leading hygiene brand. Uh, at the time where with the pandemic, I took this role, I was a global purpose director on Dettol. And I took this role, obviously being very new <laughs> to, to the world, but having done a lot of work on my own time, lots of reading, lots of edX courses, lots of discussions. I literally learned by doing very quickly. So I took the, the role on Dettol just as the pandemic was reaching UK shores, just as COVID was coming. And it was an incredibly difficult, challenging, but also transformative couple of years for me. So I led the work purpose work on the brand. I really thought about the role of the brand in tackling the pandemic. How could we think about keeping children in school? How could we leverage the best of our innovation, our communication, our programmatic abilities, our our ability to get influence change on a behavior, leveraging behavioral science. And I really was able to kind of galvanize new structures within the company, within the brand, to really think about how does this reflect in our strategy? How does purpose reflect? How do we link to an SCG, SCG 3 and 6? How do we start to think about our role amongst the vulnerable communities, but then also fuse the, the needs of the business to continue to grow? So we can grow the business, we can create an impact, we can drive that triple dividend, right? Where you think about for the business, for society, and for for kind of communities who are often marginalized and, and are not part of that. So I, I did this role. I launched a global program called the Hygiene Quest, leveraging, again, Insights. It was a behavior change program that was able to scale up in eight or nine countries. And that was then the opportunity that I get now entering my fifth phase, which took me to my current role, which was to say, and working with, with, with my mentors and people like Patty and the company, I was able to then shift across into an impact and partnerships role, which of course for me, and I've been doing this now for about two and a half years. So it's been, and now of course, I'm not only focusing on one brand, I'm thinking more from a corporate lens and leveraging my brand expertise. So I'm now able to travel from leveraging my, my background in marketing, insights, strategy, analytics, brand purpose, innovation, and bringing that to this this area of work, which I've been doing over the last over the last few years, so that's that's a little bit about my journey. I'm sure we could discuss this at length, but hopefully that gives you a flavour for where, where I've been over the last few years. Oh, it's massive! And uh, for anybody listening, I mean, take heed of the learning that Hamza took himself on, in in, in order to kind of go on that journey. I mean, I know that you really spent time whether it's with Patty or League of Entrepreneurs or One Young World and others, just really learning on that journey and, and, and building out. And I was wondering whether, almost kind of going back to that award that you've, you've recently uh, won around the social purpose and the community engagement piece, clearly that community piece comes, as you explained, from your mum and, and, and you're really motivated by that. But I was wondering whether, from a business point of view, why do or should businesses kind of care about their community? That they're working in and what does that therefore translate to the work that you're doing or trying to do yeah, yeah absolutely yeah if you think about it from a from a purely business perspective for for, for a moment right if you think about records consumer base you know i think around 70 percent or so um, and in some countries higher are women and so you think about the people who are actually buying products and brands and i think for a long time the marketing world and the business world has thought about consumers 
And I think consumers for me is it was always a very difficult term to swallow. I think it was it's challenging to think of people and of human beings as consumers. And I think that's been part of the problem for a long time where business has been fixated on trying to sell their proposition to a target audience who can afford their products and therefore they're going to grow their business, right? And it's been the traditional business models for, for as long as we can live. Create demand by advertising, by positioning, sell it to people who can afford it. You drive your, your growth, the, the person gets what they need. And actually, it wasn't really thinking more broadly. And business hasn't over time, which I think is shifting in terms of how do we think about the communities in which we're living, working, operating, and selling in, right? So I think it's really thinking about the broader population in which we're living and operating. So take, for example, a brand such as, such as, such as Dettol, which I'm, of course, very close to and have a lot, have, um, a lot of love for. Dettol, one of its core kind of its mission is to you know protect life, reduce the burden of illness, and if it's looking to do that by breaking the chain of infection, of course, it's going to be most beneficial where there is the highest burden and highest need, and that's within the broader community. It's within the broader um, set. So if if you don't have a healthy community, if you don't have a community that has access to clean water, hygiene, sanitation, you don't have a community that is educated to understand its role within tackling this. You don't have a community that is is well placed to actually take your products and actually it's going to be a very difficult job for you in the long term to actually grow your business over time right so i think these things are very much i think in the past it's been very much separated where it's been like csr right we're going to make a load of money over on this side by selling our core business and then we're going to give back to the community right so if i'm thinking you're going to give back then what have you taken from the community in the first place you've taken opportunity you've taken the ability for them to be autonomous and of course, the role of the private sector has evolved so much over the, over the years and continues to evolve, right? When we think about our role within the ecosystem, together with government, together with, with other key, with civil society, with others. And of course, our role is not to provide public goods and public services, but our role is to help support, work in partnership with other, uh, with other stakeholders, with governments, with civil society, with, with other uh, community members to help to promote population and a community that's thriving because that's not only good for business it's good for it's good it's good for for long-term long-term kind of viability of, of society so i'm a big believer that people can tackle their own problems and this has been built into me from a very young age and from the work that i've seen i think that people require they need autonomy they need they ha- they often people in many of the communities in which we work in are they're the most incredible talented people who are, have that ability have that understanding of what they need in their own community for their own community. They're often just not even at the table in these discussions. So you've got people making decisions for them. You think people think they know what's best. And actually, these communities are the ones who are empowered to tackle their own challenges. They're the ones who, who get it. We don't sat in the ivory towers. So the big push has been, and as Katie, is what, what you referenced earlier in, in this community engagement award through um, DRUM, um, which we went for our accelerator, which I'll come to. The big thing here is about how do you kind of think about communities as a key partner in developing your solutions? How do you think about the community being inclusive of every aspect and every walk of life within that community? They require, many community members require a hand up rather than a handout. So it's about reflipping the model and thinking about how do you engage a community through your process of building your products? How do you engage them in your value chains? How do you think about um, human rights and, and, and fair wage through that? But then also, when you're thinking about people, don't think about them as consumers. Think about them as, as, uh, as people in their own right, as human beings that we want to help to, to, to grow. Um, so it's good. We, want, we want to continue to drive that double dividend for business and society. So that's, that's really where 
I think that my, my kind of approach is to community engagement. And that's where we're seeing some of the most remarkable innovations come from. It's deep within the communities. We think about health and wash and the challenges that we're tackling. Some of the most incredible things have come from the communities. They're the people who have the innovations. They require their hand up to help to scale these innovations. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in, in the next question, which is what I'm personally very, very passionate about. We better get on to that next question then, Hamza. <laughs> Anybody listening? I mean, if that's not pearls of wisdom, I don't really know what is. I, I certainly am definitely taking notes at this end. Because as you say, that journey that many businesses have gone on from that kind of, you know, the only way I can do good is by doing my philanthropy and giving away. And then there was a bit of kind of community investment, but really doubling down on, sorry, what, why, why are we here? What, who are we really serving? Um, okay, so what are you working on right now? What are you super excited about? Tell us about uh, the work you're doing and and some of those amazing people that you're working with. So I think I think the big one for me that I'm, I'm excited about is really thinking about how can first of all the role of the private sector in in driving change. And that's been I spent a long time on this and actively involved in various forums, the World Economic Forum and others, to try and shift the way that business is seen. Um, and thinking, as you mentioned, the shift away from CSR and philanthropy to thinking about our role in growing the social economy. So I'm excited about progress that we're making in growing the social economy and the role of the private sector in doing it. I think we're seeing this incredible wave of entrepreneurship and innovation and many of these small social businesses and organizations are reimagining industries from healthcare to water sanitation to education to nutrition. We're seeing this incredible wave of the, and I think there's great awakening of the fact that the, the social economy is here to stay, right? So if you think about the latest report that has been published from the World Economic Forum and just in Davos in this past week, this report, I mean, it shows there's more than 10 million in social enterprises globally, right? And they are really thinking about the principle of putting purpose before profit and fusing the worlds together. And that is so, that is what's needed. New operational models, new business models, leveraging technology, leveraging AI for good, and not for, not for pure pursuit of gain. Right. So we've seen them generating more than two trillion dollars in revenue, creating two million, 200 million jobs. You know, if you think about the size of, you know, one in two of these are led by women, which is absolutely critical um, compared to one in five who are driving conventional business. So you can see the shifts being made. Like, this is this is the world that we need. This is the shift that we need. We need to make big, big business more social. And we need to make smaller business, smaller social businesses scale up. So. You know, the size of the social economy now is, is, is bigger than the apparel industry. It's bigger than the advertising industry. It's suddenly now a scalable, sizable chunk. And I think they are guiding, they are the guiding light for how business should be run in the modern age, how business needs to show up against the climate crisis, how it needs to be inclusive in its, in its DEI, not talking about DEI on a slide, but bringing it into the core of the business. And I think I'm excited about how We've been able to, as Reckit, help to grow this ecosystem. So a few years back, when I when I got into this role, and, and, and previously Reckit has been on the mission to think about how do we accelerate progress across the health and wash ecosystems, and how do we support these social entrepreneurs? So it started for us in our partnership with um, with the Unisocial Business, where we, we've been working in Nigeria, South Africa, and Brazil on our accelerator, the Fight for Access Accelerator, which is really looking to identify, scour the world for these countries for those most promising social innovations and really look to kind of bring them into our cohort and really work with them on a, in a very intensive basis for 12 months on working with our partners, working to scale them up, 
thinking about how do we leverage and grow the social entrepreneurship movement in these countries within the wash and health space. And it's been it's been incredible to see the what we can actually bring to this, right? It's not only good for our business because we think about our talent. Our talent is critical to mentoring these organizations, whether it be finance, legal, supply. We bring the best of our business into supporting these entrepreneurs. We can see these entrepreneurs grow over time. And we've seen some incredible growth with the likes of Cassini Water, Lou Afrique in South Africa. There are many examples to, to cite. And we've been able to see how these organizations have grown, how they continue to scale. And also our people have incredible opportunities to, to grow their ability and get a lens into the purpose world and leverage their skills as, as mentors. But then we've also seen um, avenues where we've been able to integrate these social businesses into our value chain, which is really where we need to be thinking about social procurement, which is the, continues to be a, a hard but critical topic of how we're going to grow this economy. So we've seen examples, the likes of EcoSoap Bank, who are now kind of working with our supply chains to take all of our soap waste, recycle it, repurpose it, drive it towards refugees and vulnerable communities and through our hygiene education work through the Hygiene Quest. So we've been able to really see the growth on the WASH side. Equally on the health side, we've been able to grow the health innovation ecosystem in sub-Saharan Africa and in Indonesia. And again, it's the likes of the Wind Fund project, which I know, Katie, you've been very close to and seeing some of these incredible women across Africa really leaning into support, supporting and growing their organizations. So how do we leverage technologies? How do we grow these organizations? It's inspiring for me to see the work. It gives me a great energy to see this work. I think that we've seen the growth of these different chapters, which we're growing. And I think that then culminated in us being kind of thinking about the intersectionality between WASH and health, where we're thinking now about climate and health, which is where we got invited into working on the Climate Agenda Equity Fund, which is a new fund that we're working with the US government, with Amazon, Visa Foundation, UPS Foundation to really think about how do we think collaboratively on growing gender, gender climate finance. So there's simply not enough financing going to women who are leading against the climate crisis um, and developing these solutions. So we continue to lean into women. We continue to lean into how we support and grow these organizations. And we know supporting women is critical. Personally, for me, I believe I've seen the impact that women can have on lifting their communities. I, I've seen it in my own life. I see it with my family and my daughter. With my mother and i know the importance of helping to scale women organizations to create six times more jobs they create far more revenue than 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 men and it, the data's out there so i'm excited about growing the, this ecosystem i think that we've got a, a huge role to play and i think again it's that triple dividend in terms of how do we grow across the different spectrums that, that i mentioned earlier thank you so much for taking us through that and anybody listening i will put links or as many links as i can get in into the words that sit alongside this conversation so that you too can go and find out more about some of the organisations that Hamza is working with and promoting and supporting, but also some of those partnerships so that you can also lean in and get involved if you would like to. Hamza, I'm very mindful of the position that you're sitting in in that you get to see so much change, challenge, opportunity. But I was wondering whether you might share perhaps the top trends that you're seeing that perhaps others aren't necessarily seeing that you think, you know, we just need to get this. We just need to sort of get going on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think the first one, Katie, for me is definitely around protracted humanitarian disasters and forced migration, right? And I think that, of course, this is well known to everybody. I think we've seen the situation in, in Ukraine. We've seen the situation in, in Palestine. 
in Israel, we've seen uh, what's happening across various parts of the world now. These humanitarian disasters, obviously, are brought about by climate climate change, often by conflict and the cost of living in many parts of the world, which is kind of soaring. But we know that this is going to have significant lag lag effects in communities in terms of availability and access to healthcare, in terms of the geopolitical impacts that these these crises will have across the Middle East, across Europe. We're seeing huge political divides that continue on this side. And we know, you know, half the half the world's population are going to be in polls this year, right? So there's going to be huge kind of government upheaval around the world. So there's humanitarian disasters, forced migration is something that we're going to have to come, you know, and it's it asks fundamental human questions to us. How do we support the vulnerable? How do we start to think about them within within as members of society and not stacked away in refugee camps? That was not the purpose of the UNHCR. That was not the purpose of, of the way the humanitarian sector has evolved. But somehow we seem to be fairly comfortable with people just living in abject poverty and in places where they simply shouldn't be. So how do we begin to reintegrate these communities? That's I see as a huge challenge moving forward. So that would definitely be the for me the first one. I have a lot of energy for and, and trying to tackle in, in some of the work that we're leading. The second thing is I think when there's a big shift towards hyperlocalization that is well warranted and much needed. I think this is really coming from where is the money coming from? You know, I think there's been a long time we've been spending on these international funds, the global funds and the others who are doing some incredible work. But the pushback against international donor funding is there. I feel it being a corporate being based in the UK. And I think the industry is beginning to feel it. Like, where is the funding flow? How does it get to the to the front line? How does that money that we talk about, these commitments, so all these lovely forums, how does that money and that funding flow get down to the front line and to the, the people who need it most? And I think there is a, a shift towards these hyper-localized solutions, these grassroots movements, the innovations that are coming from the countries that can be funded locally, that aren't relying on international monies. Um, so I'm definitely seeing that as another kind of key key trend. And of course, you can't kind of kind of move out of this conversation without thinking about AI and the role of generative AI it's going to have within within this work and the ethics and the the challenges that I'm seeing on deploying some of these technologies. Right. So I think this will continue to kind of we'll, you know, we'll think about AI for social innovation. But you think about how can we best leverage this to benefit those who need it most without being extractive? How do we be inclusive? How do we leverage a generative kind of aspects of AI to rethink really about content, capacity building, mentorship? There are many ways that we'll be able to leverage this, um, but I still don't think we've got a grasp on that. So a lot of my time at the moment is spent on how do we leverage the technology for good? How do we leverage it for the SDGs? And we continue to kind of like move move on 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 a, on a positive trajectory on that front. So they're the three that Katie that I would say. Of course, there are many more, but I'll I'll pause there. Oh, thank you very much. And for anybody listening, if you want to comment on any of those or indeed add your own, we are always keen to hear. And a shameless plug, uh, so Business Fights Poverty, the the owner and the, the supporter of this podcast, um, we've got a whole series at the moment around uh, Together for 2024, looking at those trends. So if you want to get stuck into that, uh, there'll be insights and ideas from lots of other people too, and, and always keen to hear from everybody. We're a community. That's what we're all about. Hamza, I wanted to sort of bring our conversation uh, to a close now. I know that we could sit here and talk literally forever because you are so wise and have so much to bring, Hamza. What's your one advice? What would be for anybody listening who wanted to potentially get into social impact with business or indeed become a social innovator? What would be the piece of advice you'd like to share with them? 
I'm a big believer in starting somewhere. I think that for for a long time, I think we've been trying to carve out the perfect opportunity and a perfect environment that might be suited. I'm a big believer on starting somewhere and really doing the homework and trying to understand within the planet, within the donor economic model, which I always refer to, Kate Raw was amazing work. Like where where within that model do you see yourself and making the greatest impact? Where are you connected to, right? Is in the inner ring when we think about societal uh, challenges? Or we thinking more about the planetary boundaries and thinking about the outer ring and thinking about climate and the ecological, which we haven't even got into, which is a whole separate debate around around the climate and the climate collapse and what we're seeing there. So I think what's really important is to understand the landscape, start somewhere, try and get a leg in. I think that in my case, I was just I just wanted to start, so I just started pitching projects uh, alongside my day job. They weren't very well received to begin with, but I think being resilient is very important. So I think start somewhere, understand your role within the ecosystem, get a mentor. Get somebody who's been there and done that, and who's been who's been able, been on a journey, and who's actually kind of has some pearls of wisdom, and and don't be afraid to approach people. I think there's a lot there's a lot. I think this work is glamorized quite often, but I think I don't think there should be. I think a lot of people working in this sector are putting it their heart and soul into the work, and would be very much open to talk to people, young people in particular, who are trying to break in, or many other people who are transitioning careers like I did when it, in my twenties that transitioned and pivoted. So. I think don't be afraid to have those honest conversations with people. And I think you, you'll be surprised what you might find and people who are willing to give their time and open up networks as well. Oh, well, on that brilliant advice, Hamza, you truly are a social impact pioneer. I want to wish you all the very best on your journey and your continuation of uh, epic amounts of positive impact, obviously bringing everybody on the, on the journey with you. Hamza, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Katie, for your kind words. And thanks for the opportunity. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.